Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. How many of you have ever been awake before, but you weren't really aware? Um, my son, Judah, has this thing that he does. Uh, he sleepwalks. But you can ask him if he's, well, if he's awake, and he says, yeah, I'm awake. But he's like, so last night, I'm, I'm watching, uh, I'm kind of winding down. Leslie went to bed, and I was watching some UFC fighting and, that I'd recorded. And I was sitting there, and then Judah comes walking in, and he's like, and he's, he's not feeling well. Our kids are kind of sick right now, and he's like kind of whining. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, he's like, my hands are hot. My hands are hot. I'm like, well, all right, let's, you know, and I'm rebuking the d- demons, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, what's going on here? And so I, I knew that he was sleepwalking, and I asked him, I said, are you awake? Or are you asleep right now? And he goes, I'm awake. I'm awake. And I was like, I don't think you're awake. And he was freaking out. Like, he just kind of does this every once in a while. He has these kind of like, I don't know, this sleepwalking episodes. And so I prayed over him, and I was like, look at me. Look at me in the face. And I'm like, are you awake? I'm, are you, I'm awake. I'm awake. And so he's like, he's like, I don't want to ride the bike. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't want to ride the bike. So he, he might have been awake, or he might have been asleep. I don't know. But he was he kind of in this place. So even if he was awake, he wasn't really aware. Are you with me? And uh, so I you know, had to shake him real good. And then he's like, okay, I'm okay. And then so we went and put him to bed, and we prayed with him. And and all that kind of good stuff, and I don't always respond the way I probably should in those situations because I get a little bit frustrated. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is he was he might have been awake. I don't, I'm not really sure if he was or not. But he wasn't coherent. He wasn't aware. He wasn't he wasn't responding properly to his environment. Are you with me? And I, I think a lot of times in the church, sometimes we might be a little bit awake. Come on, are you with me? But we're not really aware. It's kind of like uh, yesterday we were at the men's gathering, and uh, I. Poured, uh, I had ice water, and I picked up the coffee. Car- uh, Carlos ordered some decaf, and I was like, oh, man, I should probably be drinking decaf because I don't want to be up till 2 in the morning. And so I grabbed the coffee, and I poured it, the decaf coffee, into my water glass. Yeah, and it looked like iced tea. And, I, and I, I looked around. Nobody else caught it. And I was like, I think I don't need decaf. I think I need regular coffee right now because I poured the coffee in my water. Uh, so anyway, it's just one of those moments. I was awake. But I wasn't aware. And uh, so I want to talk about awareness this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. Now, most of us, that's as far as our eschatology goes, right? We just don't know. We don't know anything about it. We're gonna, it's going to be like a thief in the night, and it's going to be terrible, right? We know that there's a beautiful side of the, the, the day of the Lord. Come on, and that's for the bride. And then it says this, but you aren't in the dark about these things. Interesting. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. See, I, I lived my whole life thinking that the Lord's going to come in the middle of the night. I'm not going to know about it. And it's going to come and come some kind of secret rapture thing. Nobody's going to expect it. Nobody is going to expect it. And if, I'm, if I wake up and I hear a loud sound, then I'm going to call somebody that I know is living right. I'm going to call them and make sure that they're, they didn't get taken up in the rapture. 
right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're kind of raising that. So we're kind of taught this theology that we can't know anything about the end times. Now, Jesus did say that you won't know the day nor the hour, but he didn't say that you wouldn't know the seasons. Now, it says right here, listen, and I know this is a little a little off, but it's right, right on. It's right in the passage here, is that we, as the body of Christ, should be aware of the times and the seasons. We might not know the day and the hour, but it says right here, the, the Lord's going to come like a thief, but he said, we're not in the dark about it. Are y'all okay? I know I'm stretching you a little bit this morning. So the Lord will come like a thief in the night, but the thing is, is we have an awareness and we have a, a general knowledge because we have the pulse of heaven. It says in Amos 3, 7 that the Lord doesn't do anything without revealing it to his prophets. So if we have an awareness in us, we might not know the day or the hour, but we, we can know the season that the Lord is returning in. Are you with me? Um, so we've got to be aware of the times and seasons. And I think if you are astute in your relationship with God. I think if you're uh, aware of what's going on in the world, and I think we need to be that way, right? A lot of Christians, I know that I have the tendency just to kind of sometimes stick my hand in the, the sand, head in the sand and just, you know, kind of hope that the world's problems aren't as bad as they're saying on CNN or Fox. But how many know that we need to be educated? We need to know what's going on in the world because we offer solutions for the world, Right? The world is dark, we have the light. How many of you have the light? And so because of that, we've got to make sure that we're not ignorant, right? That we know the times and we know the seasons. Uh, now let me just say this. Keeping up with the world's affairs are important, but keeping up with heaven's affairs are more important. Let me say that again because I think some of y'all miss that. Keeping up with the world's affairs are important, but keeping up with heaven's affairs are more important. Are you with me? And so I, just because you can Google, come on, or you're, you're an avid watcher of CNN or Fox or whatever it is, or Google News or uh, The Onion, which I think is fake news, right? I don't know. Um, so what, whatever you're, don't give me, I read an article. What I would rather you have is an awareness of what heaven is saying in the darkest hour. Do we know what's going on in the world? Yes. But we also know what's happening in heaven. Listen, it is more important for you to have an awareness of what God is thinking and what God's heart is on the earth than what is happening on the earth. And we're always talking about, you know, I don't, I don't want to be more he so heavenly minded that I'm not earthly good. Listen, if you are not heavenly minded, you will be no earthly good. So you need to be heavenly minded. I'd rather you be spacey and a little bit kooky and know what God is saying than you being well informed and just aware of what's going on in the world and talking about how bad it is and not offering any solutions. Because at least if you know the pulse of heaven, you can bring some solutions. And the solution, let me tell you this, the solution will not be made in the ballot box. It will be made in the prayer closet. Come on. That'll preach all day. So... Don't give me this. The world's falling apart. It's dark. We don't know anything about the end times. No, as, as the children of God, we know the seasons that we're in. And how many of you know that we, we talked about this last week? We've been living in the end times since the book of Acts. Peter got up and said, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. So the last days begin. Now, I believe that we're entering the last of the last days. Come on. But the last days began 2,000 years ago. I, I think that we, we think days. We think like days in a week. God thinks days and he thinks eras, seasons. Are you with me? So we are in a, the season of the church, the empowered church. All right, back to, back to the passage, verse 5. 
Uh, let me back up in verse 4. But you aren't in the dark about these things, your brothers and sisters, and won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So he's going to come like a thief, but you won't be surprised about it. For you are children of light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard. Everybody say, be on your guard. Not asleep like others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us live in the light, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith, and love wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. But let, let me read that again, verse 8. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So what we have a lot of times is we have people that are walking around that are not clear-headed in the body of Christ, right? We don't know what's going on in the world. We don't know what's going on in heaven. It's just me. I'm isolated. My situations, my circumstance, I've got the blinders on. It's just, it's, it's, life is right here. Listen, I can tell you one way to have a lot of problems in your life is to have life lived right here. You've got to be a little bit more objective. You've got to know what's going on in heaven. You've got to know what's going on in the earth. And you've got to realize that God has placed you here to bring the light. But the problem is, is many of us are slumbering. We're kind of doing what Judah did, right? Walking around going, hey, I'm awake, but I'm not really awake. And when I think of people in Scripture that, that were not really aware to the degree that they needed to be, I think about this guy named Samson. You guys remember the story of Samson, right? Um, now, Samson, the story can be found in Judges chapter 14 through 16. Now, Samson was a judge at this time. They didn't have kings. So what happened is, is people of God, prophets usually, would rule the nation, and they kind of worked like judges, right? So if they thought that something wasn't being done right, they did something about it. And it usually included a lot of violence, are you guys with me? And so Samson was a, was a Nazarite judge. A Nazarite means that he took a vow at a very young age to live a life consecrated to God. Now, the problem with Samson is he had some weaknesses in his life. Now, he was strong. As far as we know, he was the strongest man that ever lived, right? But, he, but in, in many ways, even in the midst of his strength, he was very weak. He had a weakness. You know what his weakness was? Women like most men, right? Come on. Got quiet in here. What? Oh, I'm solid until women. Oh, okay. Check this out. There's a couple things that Samson did. Samson caught 300 foxes, lit their tails on fire, and let them loose, burning down a city. I mean, he wasn't just like strong. He was nimble, right? I mean, the guy caught 300 foxes, lit their tails on fire, and released them in a city, destroying a city, bringing judgment. The judge bringing judgment. Uh, he took the jawbone of a donkey. He's going to attack by a, by a thousand Philistines, enemies, enemies of Samson, enemies of God. He's out in the middle of a field. Here they come. And all he can find, he's like looking around. Here they come. What am I going to use? The jawbone of a donkey and picks it up and slays a thousand Philistine warriors. Now, they weren't just normal average Joes. These were, these were trained GI Joes, if you will. They were trained military guys. And he takes the jawbone of a donkey and slays these guys. Here's a guy that, that picks up the, the gates of a city. We talked about gates last week. These huge gates of a city uh, called Gaza and, and takes these gates to the top of a hill and leaves them there and said, you can't have gates on your city anymore just because he decided to. I mean, he was like the manly man. You know what I'm saying? You guys have seen all those commercials about the manly man. This is Samson. But he had this weakness. He had this weakness 
with women. So he gets together in Judges 16 with this woman named Delilah, right? We've all, we've all read the stories. And so Delilah comes to him. She's offered all this money by the Philistines, uh, 1,100 pieces of silver in exchange for Samson. So they say, hey, listen, you got the keys to Samson. He likes you. So we're going to use you as some leverage, and we're going to use you to find his weakness. He's got to have a weakness. Well, his weakness is women, so they use Delilah. And so what happens is she goes to Samson. She says, well, what's, what's the key of your strength? And, and he goes, well, he said, if you take seven undried bowstrings and you tie me up with those, he said, then, then, uh, then, nobody, then I'll be just like a normal guy and people can attack him. So what she does is she, she takes seven undried bowstrings, ties them up, and then she, she calls in the Philistine army to take Samson out, and he breaks them open and whoops all these guys. And you would think that after that happened, he would never trust this woman again. But then again, she does it. She goes, Samson, why don't you love me? Oh, if you really love me, you wouldn't do something like that. Then, he, then it says that he said, well, if you get ropes that have never been used and you tie me up with those, then what will happen is I'll be like any other ordinary man and people will be able to take me out. They'll tie me down and I won't be able to use because they're used ropes. So she does that. She takes unused ropes, ties them up. As soon as he's tied up, she calls in the soldiers. They come in. Samson breaks free, takes out the soldiers again a third time. What happens? She said, Samson, why don't you love me? He said, listen, if you will tie my hair up into a weaving loom and make me look like a woman, then when these guys show up, they'll be able to take me out. And so sure enough, she ties his hair up. This is the third time. She calls him in, and here comes the guys, and they attack Samson. He breaks free, and he beats these guys down. Now, Judges chapter 16 Check this out. This is what happens. After three attempts. Now listen, this is the fourth attempt. The fourth attempt. I mean, you would think that he would get it. Like, grow some wisdom, Samson, right? How many of you guys have ever had an issue in your life that you deal with time and time and time and time and time and time and time again? Why? Because it's a weakness. So Samson has this weakness. It's Delilah. And this is what happens right here. Then she said to him, verse 15, Judges 16, 15, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Then it says, I love this. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Amen. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. Now, part of the Nazareth vow is they could never cut their hair. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, go to funerals. They couldn't drink anything from a vine. They couldn't have wine. They had a commitment. They were alive. It was constant. They went to the extremes to belong to God. So he said, well, the truth is no one's ever cut my hair. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since my birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man man. And then when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the ruler of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands and having put him to sleep in her lap, she said, come over here, Samson, just rest your head right here. Put him to sleep in her lap. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, his dreadlocks. I like to think that he had dreads because that would look awesome. And so he began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged at his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, 
binding him with bronze shackles, and they set him to grinding in the prison. So here he is, Samson, awake, strong, solid, but he wasn't aware. He wasn't aware that this woman that he loved was betraying him. But how many know that just because we're aware of something doesn't mean that anything's going to change? We don't need just an awareness. We actually need an active awareness. Right? Just because you know, I know that's a weakness, it doesn't make a difference. But whenever you choose to act in the awareness you have, then you can bring forth change and break free from your weaknesses. Are you guys all right today? Now, I want to talk about issues today. I'm not going to talk about specific issues, but you know the issues you struggle with. Come on, how many of you guys have issues? Everybody's got issues. Come on. Oh, some of y'all don't. How many of y'all have issues? I got issues. You got issues. We all got issues. So knowing about those issues don't help you. Oh, I know I've got issues. That's great. So what are you going to do about it? We're going to develop, a, a, be more aware of our issues, and we're going to put some activity behind them. Let me just say this. I'm not just, I don't think, one thing that we do sometimes in church is we kind of dig for issues. What's the issue behind the issue behind the issue behind the issue? And I'm not going to say that there's never a place for that because most of our emphasis doesn't need to be on our issues. Most of our emphasis needs to be on Jesus. However, however, humble yourself and be aware that you have issues. Because if you don't know what your issues are, if you don't know what your hang-up is, then the devil will get you with that issue every time. Samson didn't know. He had to know. I mean, three times this woman deceived him. He had to know. He didn't know. He was ignorant to it. Maybe in his strength, he was proud. Listen, our strengths do not eliminate our weakness. Don't, don't go around and go, I'm so solid, I'm so solid. You still, don't be so proud in your strength. You've got weakness. Your strengths don't eliminate your weakness. Just because you, you, you have a strength of waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and spending two hours with God, don't think because you do that that you don't have any hang-ups in your life. And that you're somehow invincible to issues. We must be objective. About it. See, one of the habits that we have, sometimes, listen, we overvalue our strengths and overlook our weakness. Because we go, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I've been on a fast for a week, and I haven't cheated one time. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And then we don't realize our weakness. Like, i got to be honest. Like, I started fasting Monday, uh, meat, meats and sweets, right, and Facebook. And I, I ain't going to lie, like, I've got on Facebook a couple of times. Out of habit, Right? I just get on there out of habit, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I deleted it from my phone, but when I get on my computer, it's there. It's finding me. It's my weakness. So listen, don't defend your weakness. Recognize it and submit it to the Lord. Let me also say this. Don't tolerate your weakness. Now listen, when our brother has a weakness, when my, if my brother Benny has a weakness, I want to make sure that, that I'm patient, that I'm kind, that I'm tender him, to him. But when it's my own weakness, I need to hate it. I need to hate my weakness. I don't sit around and make excuses and go, that's just the way I am. I was born there. Isn't it kind of funny? It's not funny. It might be funny to everybody else, but it shouldn't be funny to you. It is a big deal that we have issues in our life. 
And we need to make, sometimes we need to make a bigger deal of our issues and quit taking them so lightly. And part of the reason why that you are still struggling with some of the same thing for 20, 15, 20 years is because you've made light and you've gone, well, it's just kind of the way I am. Stop. Stop tolerating your weakness. That's why the scripture says this, to hate what is evil, to love what is good, and to hate what is evil. Do you hate your weakness or are you in love with it? Y'all all right? First Peter chapter 5, here we go. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Now, let me just say this before I get into this. The devil is like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. The devil's a lion. No, no, Jesus is the lion. Come on. Are you with me? So the devil's an imitator. So what he does is he goes around and pretends to be powerful like Jesus. That's why it says he roams around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. Come on. He's an imitator. But he roams around like a lion, seeking that which he may devour. You know, to, to be a powerful lion, you don't have to be able to be, I, I read a quote one time that said it like this, uh, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up and, and knows that it must be uh, faster than the fastest lion. But every morning in Ac- Africa, all that, it was something like every morning in Africa, a lion wakes up and he only has to be faster than the slowest gazelle. So the enemy will look for the weak among us. He's going to look for the weak. He's going to look for the slow. He's going to look for those that are going through the difficult season. Right? Because whether we like it or not, the devil's really smart. Are you with me? He's really smart. And he knows what your weakness is. So it says this, be sober, be vigilant, because the, your adversary, the devil. Now, how many of you know the devil's our adversary, not people? Come on. It's easy to blame people. Listen, you got we will always have hang-ups with one another until we start recognizing that our enemy is not people. The enemy is not whoever is in office or whoever's running for office. The enemy is the devil. Not saying that we shouldn't vote properly. We should because the devil can use people. But the enemy is the devil. Are you with me? <laughs> the enemy is not the church. The enemy's the devil. He's our adversary. Seeking whom he may devour. Then it says this, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering you experienced, that, that you are experienced by your brothers in the world. So he's saying this. He's like, listen, you're struggling. Everybody's struggling. There's all this thing. The enemy's coming in to destroy you, but he starts everything off by this. Be sober. What does that mean? To be clear thinking. That you think like you're on your game. Like you've had your coffee. Right? Like you're at the prime of the day. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's what it means to be sober-minded. It means to be clear-thinking and vigilant. That you would be aggressive. That you would be alert. So the first thing right now, if we're going to be people that have active awareness, is number one, that we stay alert. Everybody say, stay alert. Be ready. So you've got to be ready. You've got to understand that the devil is looking for any little thing in your life that he can latch hold of. You know, what I've noticed about the devil is that he doesn't tempt me with huge things. 
He does it through the subtles. He does it through the little offenses. He does it through the little irritations. So what I got to do is I got to be on guard, as one, script, one, one translation says. Be on guard. Be ready. You snooze, you lose. Be ready, because he's coming. We talked a little bit about this last week, that if the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. You can expect, you can expect this week that the devil is going to attack you. Don't go, well, I'm just being attacked. I'm going through a season. Listen, we, it is not a season of you being attacked. You will be attacked for the rest of your life because God has an assignment for you. And guess what? The devil has an assignment too. And his assignment is to destroy you. His assignment is to steal, kill, and destroy. God's assignment is that you may have life and you may have life more abundantly. So much life that it pours out of you. And so what the devil wants to do is he wants to come and make you a survivor not a thriver. And he wants to rob you of the life that you could give to others, and he wants you to get, get you isolated so that you make no effect in the darkened world. If I can just keep him a little drunk-minded, right? Can I tell you that the enemy will be, sati- the enemy will be satisfied with your distractions? God will only be satisfied with complete devotion. The enemy will be satisfied with distractions, but God will only be satisfied with devotions. Is God satisfied in Christ? Absolutely. As a son, as a child, you're absolutely his. But God is contending for your heart until you are absolutely devoted to him. The devil, listen, the devil is content with you being 99% committed to Jesus. The devil's content with that. Jesus is not. Because he's a lover looking for lovers. He wants total commitment. Total commitment. And he's not mad at you because you're weak. Let me just say that. He's not mad. Jesus isn't mad at you because you're weak. But the devil loves your weakness. And sometimes he convinced you to love your weakness too. You all right? Um, and it, listen, it's not always sin issues. Sometimes it's just issues of complacency. Sometimes it's just issues of compromise. Sometimes it's just, it's just issues where we've kind of let off the gas. Can I tell you today that complacency will always lead to compromise? That when you get complacent in your life, that's whenever you start compromising. When you're hungry for God, when you're, when you're fired up, when you're driven, when you're going, dude, there's no way you're going to compromise. Did you know that that's the way God wants you 100% of the time? He doesn't want you complacent. Did you say, man, I just want to know God. I just want to know God. Yet, yeah, do you know God? Yes, but I just want to know him. That's what God wants in you. Because he knows that if that, is the, if that is the mode of your life, that your foot is on the accelerator to go after Jesus, is exactly what Paul talks about in, in, in Philippians. He knows that if you're just driven for Jesus, if you're just driven for eternity, you won't settle and go, oh, I'm just all right, everything's okay. Why? Because that's what the devil wants you. He wants you to be complacent. Because he knows you will not make a difference if you're just kind of twiddling your thumbs. Ephesians 4.27 says this, do not give the devil a foothold. The Greek for that is the word space. Don't give the devil space. Don't give him a place. Don't give him an area. No area. Well, you know, I'm just kind of working. No area. Well, it's just the no area. That we would become vigilant like that, aware. He's trying to take me out. He's trying to destroy me. No area. No place. And some of you, you need to get in that place place whenever you develop that critical spirit. That's something I'd battle with. 
that I don't give into that and start entertaining criticism. Come on, are you with me? That I don't start entertaining a, 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 a skeptical spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with being skeptical, but to have a skeptical spirit and a questioning spirit, there's something wrong with that. And I go around and I start, what I need to say is say, no So you just need verbally start declaring. Guys, whenever you're getting those emails and they're coming through, and it's got stuff on there you don't want to see, you just need to declare it. No place. No space in my life. When you're driving down the street, you see someone that's wearing a little less clothing that they should have on. No Come on. Ladies, whenever you start talking about somebody that's not in the room. No no space. Don't give the devil a little space because, listen, if you give the devil an inch, he'll take your life. He will ruin you. He is powerful. He's not as powerful as Jesus. He's already been defeated. He's a defeated foe. But I can tell you that he is clawing and he is gnawing his way to destroy you. And you give him a place and he will. The, the enemy will be satisfied with your little issues. Because it just takes a little bit for him to control and manipulate you. Because he's a master deceiver and manipulator. No place. You, that, you just need to let, when your weakness starts coming up, no you're just going to be walking, you're going to be hanging out with some brothers. Right? You're going to be hanging out with your family over dinner. No like, What are you saying? Sorry, I just, I'm just defeating the devil right now. I'm just walking in victory. No I know that's funny, but I would rather you do that than to give place for it and sit there in the, in the chamber of your mind and stir up stuff that's going to plague you for weeks. No place. No place. The devil's got no place in my life. Number two is develop resistance. Oh. Resistance. Have you guys ever dealt with resistance before? Come on. Resistance is no fun. Uh, James 4 says this, Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it says the devil will flee from us if two things happen. Number one is submit to God. So what is submission? Submission is yielding. Submission is going, God, I have this weakness. Submit to God. God, I have this. I'm yielding it to you. And when the enemy comes, you resist it. You go, no. You resist it. You say, no. In the 80s, they had a campaign. Some of y'all were alive, like four of you. Nancy Reagan developed this campaign called the Just Say No campaign. We had green shirts, white. I didn't say no. We'll leave that enough for another time. But some of you need to learn to just say no. No. No place. Now listen, let me, let me say this to you because sometimes we have a heart. And I want to get real with you for a minute. I'm going to be nice. Listen, sometimes we get to the place where we really want to obey God. And we keep struggling. And we're like, man, God, I want to obey you. Can I tell you that the posture of our heart when we sin is just as important as the sin that we commit, the posture of your heart when you sin 
Because this is the reality, guys. I would like to tell you that you will walk out these doors today and you will never sin again. I would love to be able to empower you that way. But you know reality and I know reality. And you're going to go out and you're going to sin probably at lunch. Let's just be real. I mean, you're going to be having lunch today and you're going to go, nope. Right? People are going to be like, wait. Don't go to that table, right? Can you take over my shift? But what is the posture of your heart when you sin? Do you make excuses? Another, listen, another bad posture is for you to live in condemnation. And we have two sides, right? One person makes excuses. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's the way I am. The other person lives condemned. I just can't overcome. God doesn't love me. That, that's, that's just as bad. Come on. You've got to be confident that God loves you. In fact, God loves you so much, he wants you to overcome that thing. He wants to overcome it through you. But what God is interested in mostly is an obedient spirit. Because sometimes you can do the right thing but have the wrong heart. God wants the obedient spirit. You guys with me? That's why it says in 1 John that you love God and his commands are not a burden. It's heart work, right? It's a heart issue. When we sin, it's always a heart issue. It's always frustrating when people uh, come to me and they, they say, well, they really love the Lord but they're not serving him. I'm like, that's not the way it works. When we love the Lord, we serve him. But sometimes in our serving and sometimes in our loving, we slip. We make mistakes, but we still have an obedient spirit. Are you with me? That's why we call it weakness, not rebellion. That's why scripture talks about people being stiff-necked because they're they're functioning, they're sinning out of pride. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. That's being stiff-necked. So what God wants to do is break your stiff neck because God opposes the proud because grace to the humble. So when you are humble and you say, God, I want to obey you. I'm sorry that I sinned again and I did it. He loves that you struggle that way. Are you with me? Uh, Hebrews 12, 4, it says, in our struggle against sin. You say, oh man, we just need to believe, just believe that this, we don't know, when we sin, we just need to believe that Jesus paid for it and just kind of walk around and like dance around in fields of daisies and rainbows and ride unicorns and fart glitter, all that kind of stuff. Can I tell you today that when you sin, you need to feel bad about your sin. You don't need to live in condemnation, but you need to go, damn, get it again, I hate that sin. And then you need to move on. I thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven. And I'm sorry that I blew it again. And my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. So, Lord, would you help? Would you strengthen me? So it is a struggle against sin. That's why it says that in Hebrews 12, 4. It says, in your struggle against sin. It's a struggle. The struggle's real. You got your issues. I got my issues. And we're overcoming our issues. But it is a struggle. He uses this terminology. He says, resist him standing firm in the faith. 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. What we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to lean forward. This is what it means to stand firm. Uh, give me somebody. Give me somebody. Nathan, come over here. So if Nathan's not sober-minded, he's going to be kind of like loose like that. Right? So what I want you to do, Nathan, is I want you to kind of lean in. Just lean in a little bit. Lean in a little bit. Well, he's not like he was a while ago. Why? Because he's sober. He's aware. He knows that I'm coming to talk to him. But what we need to do is we need to, we need to lean in. Come on, give me a little lean in, Nathan. Come on. You're scaring me now. So what's going to happen? He's got his posture prop. 
So he said, well, what if, what if he moves out of the way and I fall? Well, if he moves out of the way and you fall, at least you fall forward. And you don't fall back. At least you're still moving forward. So we've got to learn to stand firm and lean into Jesus. Listen, when you're going through the hard time, you go, I'm for you, God. He's like, yeah. And know that the devil is attacking you. You know that. You have that awareness. You know he's coming. So your posture is standing firm in the faith. Standing firm that you know that God is for you and not against you. Standing firm in the fact that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are standing firm. You're leaning into Jesus. You're leaning into truth. That's how you develop resistance. By leaning for, Be ready for it. I'm going, come on. I made a stupid prayer one time when I was a kid. I was looking in the mirror and I was praying right after I got saved. I was like, devil, I dare you. (laughs) Now, you don't empower the devil when you say that, by the way. The way that you empower the devil is by unbelief. And by by fear, which is unbelief, right? Um, But it was still stupid. I dare you, devil. (laughs) I'm so prideful. Okay. (laughs) Number three, look for the exit. Can we get a little air on in here? Somebody. Look for the exit, number three. Now, not look for the exit because it's almost noon, but look for the exit. Look for the exit when you're under temptation. I love this scripture. Now, people have used this scripture for other things, but I, I want you to understand Dalton's looking for the exit. It was relevant. Just kidding. That's fire exit. Listen, when you guys, if there was a fire in here right now, if this stage caught on fire, it's been on fire, but if it caught literal on fire, then then what would happen is you would look for the exit. You wouldn't stay around going, I wonder how long I can stay in here and not get burned. Come on, devil, right? I can handle it. No, 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 you would get the heck out. And that would be wisdom. First Corinthians chapter 10, if you think you are standing strong, I'm solid. Be careful not to fall. He's speaking of pride here, come on. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And I love this. And God is faithful. You're tempted, it's hard, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand. It's more than I can handle, God. No, it's not. God won't allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. Now, we've taken that and say, well, God won't put on you more than you can handle. Well, first of all, God doesn't put on temptation. The devil tempts you. Read James. The devil's the tempter, not Jesus. Come on, are you with me? God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So what God does is when we're going through temptation, hate temptation. When temptation comes, God provides a way out. That's what he does. So what you need to do is not just be aware of what the enemy's doing, but you're aware where the exits are. So a lot of that means that you know where the exits are when you walk, when, when you show up. Guys, when you get online, where's the exit when temptation comes? How am I going to get out of here if I got 45 pop-up windows? How am I going to get up, out? Whatever the temptation. I'm going to have, here comes, I'm getting frustrated. I, I'm, I'm getting, wh- what is your exit? Maybe it's go outside and mow the grass or water the yard or take a six-week vacation. (laughs) I'm kidding. Go fish. What is it that you need? What is your exit? 
What is your exit strategy? You better have an exit strategy before the temptation comes. The devil knows where you're weak. And then I love what it says. It starts off by saying this. If you think you're standing strong, I'm solid. I've heard, man, I, I, I work with young people most of my life. They're solid, huh? I'm good, man. I don't have to worry about anything. You know what happens? Pride never ends well. Anytime you develop that kind of spirit where you're prideful and you think you can handle whatever the devil throws, as soon as you get that way, you've already started to fall. Don't be so prideful that you think you have to prove yourself. If, if, listen, if you are a recovering alcoholic, bar ministry should probably not be your ministry. It's a no-brainer. You know, Scripture speaks of strong men that ran. Look at Joseph. Joseph wasn't like, well, I can handle the temptation against Potiphar's wife. He fled. In fact, Scripture tells us to flee sexual immorality. Flee materialism. Come on. And number four, and I believe this is the most important part, is remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. I don't even know if that's proper language. Remember whose you are. Whose you are? Whose you are, Benny? Come on. Whose you are? Y'all don't laugh at me. I'll keep, I'll say it till Jesus comes. All right. Sometimes we, sometimes what happened is we doze off. We forget whose we are. And this is exactly what happened to Samson. See, Samson forgot that he belonged to God, that he didn't belong to Delilah, that he didn't belong to the, he forgot that he belonged to God. He took, because that Nazarite vow said, I belong to God. And he lost, listen, his strength was in his commitment. His strength was found in his consecration. What is consecration? That means that it belongs to God. Like that ice cream that I've shared with you guys before that Leslie and I have in the refrigerator, or the freezer. You don't put ice cream in the refrigerator. You put it in the freezer. I'm aware of that. You keep that ice cream in the freezer, and when the kids go to bed, we pull it out, that sacred ice cream. It belongs to Leslie and I. It's our ice cream. Not right now because we're fasting. Thank God that it's not in the fridge. I've provided a way out. Come on. And so what I know is that belongs to God. Samson forgot that for a little bit. And so his strength, listen, his strength was found in his commitment. Can I tell you today that your strength is, belong, is found in this, that you belong to God and your life is devoted to him, that you're devoted to his purpose. Can I tell you today that you overcoming sin, that you overcoming weakness, it's really not a strength issue. It's a love issue. It's a love issue. See, the reason why I sin, and I do frequently, is because I need to grow in my love for God. He loves me unconditionally. That's not changing. It's steadfast in my life. But I need to grow in my love for God. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you for amening me on that. <laughs> Just kidding. At the core of sin is not a commitment issue. It's a love issue. And love is commitment. Come on, are you with me? Don't tell me you love me and don't be committed to me. That's a lie. Come on. Love that doesn't have a commitment is just 
emotion. It's just words. It says this in Matthew 24, and Matthew 24 is speaking of the end of the age. And it says, sin will be rampant everywhere. Just like 2016, sin is rampant everywhere. And he says this, that the love of many, one translation says most, will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Do you know why we sin? Because we didn't keep our love hot. That, that word, grow cold, right there in the Greek, the word is actually wax cold. Y'all, y'all know what candles are, right? I know we live in, I'm not talking about the one that's on an app on your iPhone. But when you light a candle, there's a hard wax in there. And when you blow that candle out and that candle loses its fire, that wax that was once pliable, that wax that you could form into anything, all of a sudden you can't do anything with it. Why? Because it is waxed cold. And this is what happens in our life. When, we, when our love for God waxes cold, the enemy comes in and has our way. All of a sudden we have a life that can be broken. A life that could be molded under the heat of his presence is, can now only be broken. We need to ask the Lord, Lord, would you rekindle my love for Jesus? You need to declare that, Lord, I love you. It's not a strength issue. It's a love issue. See, I don't go looking for other women because I'm in love with Leslie. Because I'm in love with her. It's not a discipline issue. It's not a strength issue. It's a love issue. I love that woman. I'll do anything for that woman. I would never cheat on that woman. What guards my heart? What guards my life? What keeps me strong in my commitment? My love for her. That's why Jesus endured the cross, because he loves you. That's why Jesus despises the shame, because he loves you. It kept him going. Love keeps us going. If you go with your strength, eventually your strength, you'll get tired. But if you love well, come on, you'll endure. I love that. Sin will be rampant everywhere, but the love of most will grow cold. And then it says in the next verse, that those that endure to the end shall be saved. They'll be redeemed. I really feel this morning that there's two areas of ministry that need to happen in this place before we go. Number one is some of you need to renew your commitment to the Lord. You know, the thing I love about Samson is, is we, the story could end there where he goes to prison and he's in bondage for the rest of his life. But Scripture says this in Judges chapter 6.22, the best part of the story. It says his hair began to grow. But the hair on his head began to grow after he had been shaved. Today, allow that commitment to the Lord, that consecrated life, to grow. And you know what happened when his hair grew? His strength came back. <laughs> 
And it says this about Samson at the end of his life. They gouged out his eyes. They took him in between these two pillars of this building where there are all these enemies of Samson and of God in this building. And he stands in between these two pillars of the building. And because his hair and his commitment was restored, he had the strength to push out those columns and the building collapses on all of his enemies. And it says that Samson destroyed more enemies of him, more enemies of God in his death than he did in his life. It's not over. Your strength is coming. And you might, have, you might need to renew that commitment this morning. I want to pray. And the second area is this, is the area of compromise. It's the little issues. Check this out. Song of Solomon. This has been a life verse for me. 2.15 says, catch for us the little foxes. The little foxes that spoil the vine. The spoil the fruitfulness. Catch for us. You know what this is? This is a dialogue between lovers. Song of Solomon is a dialogue between lovers. So my prayer is this, Lord, would you catch the little foxes? Lord, what are the little foxes that are screwing me up? What are the little foxes that are eating the seeds of tomorrow? 